All right. So we're in the um, book of Romans, grace and peace to you. This will be lesson 58. And um, our title is predestined question. And then to what question, part two. Because, yeah, we didn't get this finished last week. So um, I should have known when I put it together that that was way too big of a bite to, uh, to take. Sometimes when I'm writing the lessons, uh, it's like, okay, this all makes sense to me. But then as I get into teaching it, I realize this needs some explanation. So um, talking about this, this subject that comes up within these verses, and uh, there's some great misunderstandings that go with this, and so we're going to talk about some of that uh, also tonight. So uh, hopefully we'll have a good understanding of what predestination is and what we are predestined to by the end of our session tonight. So uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is where we want to read. And basically we're only covering a few parts of this passage, but I want to read the entire context of it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, specifically, we're going to get more into verse 30 uh, in our session next week. But what we're focusing around uh, is these, these two words that have been thrown in here, and then another word that goes along with them, foreknowledge, predestined, and conformed. So that's kind of the subject of where we're looking tonight. But in order to get there, last week I had to bring up a subject that's not really even mentioned in here, and that is the sovereignty of God. Now, that word really never appears in the Bible. It's something that we have uh, created as a topic, uh, so that God is sovereign, and we talked about that last week, and I'm only going to do just a little bit of, of review on that. But the idea that, that God is sovereign means that he sits above everything, that everything is submitted to him. Now, it might not seem like it is, because when we look at things, first of all, we think, well, I got a lot of choices. You know, I can make a choice here, and I can make a choice there. That's because God in his sovereignty, what? Allowed you to do that, <laughs> because he didn't have to allow you to do that. But there's some things that you can't make a choice about. The fact that... You will die, or the Lord will come first. You don't have, you don't have the authority over that. And I'm, I can't answer that phone right now. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. But um, the, the idea that there's things that we're not sovereign over. God didn't give us the choice over some things. Um, you didn't have a choice as to where you were going to be born. You know, as I've traveled different parts of the world, even different parts of Oklahoma, I've thought, thank you, Jesus. 
I wasn't born here. <laughs> you know, and so you look at those things, it's like, I didn't, I didn't have a choice over that. Um, you are, you know, what you are. You didn't have a choice over whether you were going to be male or female. No matter what they say today, that is a sovereign choice. So there's things that we have control over because God has given us that. But overall, he rules. He reigns. And so this is the thought that goes along with the idea of sovereignty. Um, I, I used a different verse this week. Uh, look at Psalm 47. It's there in your notes. Sovereignty simply means God rules. And Psalm 47, the entire psalm, really, is incredible just an incredible song to the sovereignty of God. Now, how many of you are doing the read through the Bible, the read, read scripture? Yeah, that was, that was our psalm yesterday. And I thought, well, that's perfect. And so, I don't know, I've been very impressed with that read scripture application. And that, that, that is the best by read through the Bible thing I've ever used in my life. And I love the little graphics that go along sometimes, and they put those graphics in, and and uh, their their summary. They summarized the book of Genesis in like three minutes. It's like what? Who can do that? Three years, maybe, if I was doing it. But um, three minutes, really, and and yet they did it. So it's uh, it's an excellent resource and. What's interesting is, as you read the psalm that goes after the section of the, of the scriptures that you're reading, now we're in numbers, um, it's amazing how parts of that psalm fit right back into what you were reading. Something in that psalm reflects back into what you're reading, and it's just, and the psalms are just days, you know, we're just flowing through. So anyway, enough about that, but... Psalm 47, the entire thing is really is a, is a song to the sovereignty of God, to the Almighty. And verses 8 and 9 say, God reigns over the nations. Wow. We don't reign. People don't reign. They may have a seeming rulership, but God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. There's no one like him. His throne is above all and unlike anything else. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of God of Abraham. So the leaders that really recognize this gather as did the people of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. That's the overall protection, the overall control over everything. He is highly exalted. So God is over all these things, and God rules. That's what sovereignty means. What's unfortunate, as we talked about last week, is people have taken sovereignty to mean that God makes all the choices for you, especially your choice for salvation. And you don't have a choice. God either chooses you to be saved or chooses you to go to hell. That's the way a lot of people look at sovereignty. And so you bring up the idea of sovereignty and says, oh, I don't believe in that. Yes, you do. Just not that. 
Why? Because that's not what the Bible teaches, and we'll talk about that tonight. So, God in his sovereignty uh, has established that we have a choice. Man had a choice from the beginning. God put two trees. Adam wasn't destined to eat the tree of knowledge, good and evil, even though God, what? Knew that he would. See, that's foreknowledge. But Adam had a choice. Adam had a choice when Eve brought him the fruit. He could have thrown it on the ground and walked away. But he didn't do that. When it came to Cain and Abel, Cain had a choice. He didn't have to murder his brother. It wasn't destined that it was something he had to do, that he would forever be the bad guy. He made a choice. And so down through Scripture, choice, 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 choice. Abraham was called out of the early Chaldees, but he didn't have to go. The Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, he sojourned to a place he did not know. He made that choice to do that by what? Faith. By faith. And so over and over we see that, that God's sovereignty has been, in a sense, um, redefined into the, into the places where you have choices. But God has ruled over what? Whether you have that choice or not. And what the outcome of that choice will be. You can't choose to live a life of destruction and expect to have blessing in your life. You don't have that choice. You can't choose to be, quote, saved another way than by the name of Jesus Christ. God didn't give you that choice. But he did give you the choice of what? Believing. It's your choice. But you can't control the outcome. So the outcome is God's sovereign decision. And God has sovereignly uh, relegated salvation to that five-letter word, faith. And so we have this opportunity to believe and read scripture <laughs> by faith. God called. He spoke to his people. Do this. Don't do that. He didn't assign that they were going to do it, but he did say, if you do live this way, this is where you're going to end up. If you choose not to, this is where you're going to end up. And so God has already determined those things. He may determine the outcome, but he doesn't control the choice. The choice is ours. All right? Now that fits in with, in the bottom of your page, foreknowledge. And foreknowledge is simply God knowing ahead of time that you're going to make that choice. God knows what choice you're going to make concerning his sovereign rule, concerning the things that are given to you, submitting to his word, obedience, faith, repentance. God knows what you're going to do with each one of those things, and he has a plan. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, Bobby Andian was teaching on um, the will of God, and he made a statement You know that some people think that either, either you... Get God's will perfect or you're forever messed up. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that's where a lot of the young people are today. Uh, last year I, I did a, 
uh, session with the youth here at the church, and that was the biggest question that they had. What happens if we get out of the will of God? How do I know that I'm in the will of God? Well, first of all, you follow his word as best you can. But if you mess up, what do you do? What do you do? You repent. And God what? Brings you back. And this is, this is the statement that, that Bobby Andian made. You cannot mess up your life so much that God in his grace can't bring you back. It doesn't say he will, because some of that is up to you. If you're not going to repent, if you're not going to change, if you're not going to turn, then you can mess up your life so that you do not end up where God wanted you to be. But if your heart is open, and you're seeking, and you're looking, you know, drop the fact that you've got to stay in the perfect will of God. Because you can't. But when you mess up, when you miss it, when you make a mistake, you do what? You repent. It's the same thing you teach your children. Change. And things will be different. So, I didn't always believe that when my father said it. And the outcome was already determined. Okay, but, top of the next page. So, Paul, Paul likens foreknowledge to God knowing us. Old Testament does, New Testament does. So God knowing is the same as God establishing a way with you, uh, having his purpose and his plan. And so those who love God, 1 Corinthians 8, 3 says, if one loves God, one is known by him. Who makes the choice to love God? You do. And when you do, you're known by God. But didn't he already know that you would? Hasn't he already made a plan? And so God knows those who are going to make choices. He knows, and then this again, you know, just floods into all those things that make you stand in awe of this God of ours. He knows every wrong choice that you could make and the outcome of those wrong choices and how to bring you back. (laughs) I can't even figure out how I'm going to get my way out of problems that I created yesterday, and you don't need to know what they are. But, you know, we, we, we just, we, we can't make our life right. And when you pursue that, you literally drive yourself crazy, trying to make your life right. And so God has a place, God has a plan, and that's not me just sitting back and saying, well, whatever, God, you know, whatever you want, I'll just, you know, I'll just flow like a leaf, you know, blowing down the stream or blowing in the wind. No, I'm making choices. I'm trusting the more I know about his word and the more I listen to the spirit of God on the inside that I'm going to make choices that are pleasing to God, that are in accordance with what he wants. Be led by the spirit. And if I follow those things, I'm going to be making right choices. But we don't always listen. We don't always Make the choice right. But God in his foreknowledge has a way. And that's the beautiful part of foreknowledge. Unfortunately, some people use foreknowledge to beat us over the head. That God has foreknown you and therefore he's either chosen you or he hasn't chosen you. God foreknows those he's going to save and he's going to do good for them and those he 
chooses not to, they're going to go to hell. And that God foreknows all of that. Does God foreknow the ultimate outcome of everybody's life? Yes, he does. But he doesn't control it. He controls the consequences, the outcome, but not the choices that everyone makes. And so foreknowledge could be used as kind of a, of a club to beat us over the head, but it's not. God's not mean in his foreknowledge. He's God of grace. One of the, you know, we know the omni verses, you know, all the omni titles for God, omnipotent, right, omnipresent, you know, omniscient, knowing everything. There's one that we don't use often, but it's used in theological circles. It's called omnibenevolence. Omnibenevolence. That's the love of God. God is omnibenevolent. All loving. Boy, isn't that what John said? God is what? Love. He's omnibenevolent. And so he's, he's filled with love. His desire is to love. God so loved. And so this is part of the, the person that God is. And so his foreknowledge is filled with his desire to show his love toward you and toward mankind. He loved Adam enough to put a tree of life in the garden. But he didn't choose it. But God loved him enough to make a way for mankind to come back. And that was already determined before the garden was ever created. Because God in his foreknowledge knew that man would need it. It's just, it's, to me, it's just the, one of those most beautiful presentations of God. Saul of Tarsus, uh, down there toward the top of your page, Saul of Tarsus, Galatians 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I may preach him among the Gentiles. Just look at all the, look at all the benevolence in that verse. God knew me even before I was born. Now, he didn't destine Paul's life because Paul had to, at one point, what? Surrender. <laughs> at one point, Paul was killing people. Was that God's predestined choice for him? No, but did God know he would? So God had a plan. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to meet you on the road to Damascus. And we're going to throw it down. Right? And either you are going to bow or you're going to die. It's your choice. It's a pretty clear choice, you think. You know, most of us don't have that kind of supernatural terrifying meeting with the Lord, but you might, you know, and, uh, but God wants us with him. And so what did he do? He met him. He said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? I'm not persecuting, I'm, I'm killing people. I'm killing Christians. 
I'm doing it in your name. I'm doing it for you. It's a favor. I'm trying to help you out. Oh, God just knew. And Paul knew immediately. It took him years to come to this place that he reflects here in Galatians chapter 1 to be able to look back at his life and see that God, by his foreknowledge, had known him when he was in his mother's womb, who knew everything about him, knew how to get him to where God wanted him to be. And he could look back at that in wonder. And I have to do that. You know, I shared a little bit about that last week with my life. I have to look back at that, how God preserved me. Of the men that I trained with, you know, in the Marine Corps, 48 out of 50 of them died in Vietnam. I didn't go. And I've had people say, well, see, God had a purpose for your life. That makes me so angry, I can hardly talk right now. That God had a purpose for me, but he didn't have any purpose for them. Were they, they were just pawns, you know, to throw away. No, God had a purpose for all of our lives. Why it didn't work for them, that's, that's not up to me. I think some of them made a choice. I found out later that Donnie and Reba Rambo, sons of Dottie Rambo, the daughter and her son, they did evangelism tours in Vietnam. Tens of thousands of frontline Marines. They would go to the frontline areas for their concerts where most of the other entertainers stayed toward the back, where it was safe. But they went to the front lines, and they held crusades, and tens of thousands of young soldiers gave their lives to Jesus. I have to believe that some of my friends were in that group. So then why am I here and not there? I've struggled with survivor guilt. That's been an issue for me. The truth is, God chose me for a work. I am to dedicate my life to this work because he preserved my life so I could do it. I, 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 I have to totally throw myself into this. I can't choose to do something else. I'm obligated. And every one of us should look at our life. God preserved us, saved us, led us, directed people who knew nothing about you, put them into your life so that you could come to Christ. Now, what are you going to do with your life? That's the question. So a number of years ago, I wrote an article. I was on my way back from China, and I was just reflecting on some of those things after seeing all these people come to the Lord, the churches in China. And I wrote a thing, I want to go to heaven empty. That doesn't mean I don't want rewards. That means I don't want anything reserved. I don't hold anything back. Whatever God has given me, I want to put it out in this life. 
I want to go empty. I don't want to be like the, the ruler who had his ten, his one single, what, talent and saved it so he could give the talent back to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want your talent back. He wants the interest on your talent. And that's what I mean. I want to go to heaven empty. I don't want anything reserved. I know there's going to be rewards. I'm not doing it for the rewards. I'm doing it because God has given me a grace. So, how long am I going to teach? As long as I can. How long am I going to serve him? As long as I can. I'm going to give myself because he gave himself for me. I am obligated. I look at it that way. I'm not lucky. I'm not fortunate. God's hand was in all of this. So, God's done all this because he was going to bring you to a place where you would accept him. So now we come to this word predestination. Middle of your second page. Predestination. A curse word to some. <laughs> a word of worship to others. They, they absolutely worship this word. Predestination. The word simply means a determined outcome resulting from a choice. A determined outcome resulting resort resulting, there it is, resulting from a choice. It's a further extension of God's foreknowledge and his sovereignty. Okay, so you make a choice to get on a plane to San Diego. Where are you going? San Diego. Why? Because you made the choice, right? And so that's a predestination. See the destination? Get the word? Destination is there. Before the destination, I made a choice. I didn't just say, gosh, I want to be in San Diego. Now, I wish it was that easy, you know, and you just be there. That's, that's what's going to be in heaven, you know, just think it and you're there. But it doesn't work that way now, unfortunately. But you make a choice. And so it is with predestination. There is a result to the choice that you make, but that result has already been predetermined. That if you make this choice, this is where you're going to be. All right? So think of predestination like, like that. What's unfortunate is people think of predestination as eeny, meeny, miny, mo. You're in, you're not. You're in, you're not. You're in, you're not. You know, the daisy, he loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You know, and around you go, and hopefully you end up with he loves me. Right? But it's not, it's not like that. Predestination is not some are in, some are not. No. Predestination means if you make this choice, this is where you'll be. The outcome is predetermined. The destination is predetermined. That's why it's called pre-what? Destination. destination. Okay, so this Greek word that has been used, unfortunately, uh, to form entire lines of doctrine, which we're going to talk about here in just a few minutes. Uh, 
entire lines of doctrine. This is where you arrive if you make this choice. Now, here, here's where it blends with foreknowledge. God knows the choice you're going to make. And God has determined the destination or the outcome of your choice. Here's your choice. Here's the outcome. How many have ever made a bad choice and needed God to rescue you? Yeah. Forgive you. Whatever. Now, I know, maybe one or two. Some of you, you, just, you, you may have to think a hard time to come up with a wrong choice that you made, but somewhere back there, you may have made one wrong choice. I thought it was wrong, but then I had to change because I wasn't wrong. But anyway, okay. The destination is certain. And here's the other thing. You can't reach the destination any other way. So predestination means you make this choice, you get there. There is not another way to get there. It's locked into this choice. Okay? And so you have to make this choice. But in theology, in our scripture, destination is not a place. It's not that you're predestined to eternal life. It's that you're predestined, listen to this, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be conformed to his image and you will have eternal life. You're predestined, look at the verse. Look at verse 28. Predestined to be what? Predestined to be what? Saved? Is that what it says? Conformed to what? To the image of Jesus Christ. It's not predestined to be saved. It's predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. And actually the word confirmation is a better choice than conform because it's not a verb. You're predestined to the confirmation to the image of Christ. You're predestined to conformation to. You will be made into the mold of Jesus Christ. That's the predestination, not eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Yeah, that's, that's a choice that you made, but it has nothing to do with predestined. It's not that you were predestined to eternal life before you were saved. You weren't. God may have known you, and he knew that if you made the choice for him, you would have eternal life, but God didn't make the choice for you. You made a choice. So believers are predestined to be conformed to the image. Okay, so bottom of page two. Predestination is not. And here's where I'm going to meddle. All right? Not with you. I don't think most of you don't hold to this. Predestination, uh, the word translated means marking out a boundary beforehand, making a place. But here it's making a condition. The condition is what? No. The condition of predestination is what? Confirmation to the image of Christ. You're going to look like Jesus. That's confirmation to the image of Christ. You're going to look like him. We'll talk about some verses that say that. It's not predestination to salvation. It's not election to salvation. Not God decided who he wants to be saved and who he didn't. I asked a person one time, 
who is very, very, very strong Calvinist, and um, which we'll get to in a minute, very strong. And so his statement was, Jan's one actually to ask him, said, so which of your children would you choose to be saved and which would you choose to not be saved? Now, there may be times, you know, during their, during their growing up years that you're just like, man, this child, this child does not belong to me. But, but here's what another man said. His wife, he and his wife had lost a child. This man was a preacher, a very popular preacher. And they'd lost a child, um, I think, in the third year. And she was three years old. I don't know what happened. Anyway, the child died. And uh, they were faced, you know, with the grief of that. But he was a very strong, sovereign election preacher and preached this message very hard. And he made the statement, finally said, my wife and I have been asked by several people, and I finally I'll make it public to you. He said, to me, if my child was chosen for salvation, she'll be in heaven. If she was not, she won't be. Wait, wait, wait. I'm not done. And I am perfectly comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with the fact that my child might be in heaven or my child may be in hell. That's almost, there's, I, I don't even have words for that. But that's where they have to go. Okay, so. That's pretty extreme, but there are people that are in that capacity. Okay, so the context of predestination does not determine your salvation. However, this is a primary principle of classic Calvinism. All right, so classic Calvinism. Now, I'm not here to teach classic Calvinism, but I've got to go through these points in order to show you. So, the central principle of classic Calvinism is called the five points of Calvinism. And you spell it with the word tulip. T-U-L-I-P. All right? Tulip. Five points of Calvinism. Now, what is written in blue, all right, so as you go look at your notes, what is written in blue, I'm sorry if you got a black and white printer because this won't come out, but um, what's written in blue in italics is what they mean by this term. And I got these definitions directly from a leading Calvinist book, okay? So this is what they believe that these different points mean. The first word of classic Calvinism is T, which stands for total depravity. Total depravity. And for the most part, we agree with this. However, let's read, let's read what it says in the blue. Due to sin, all of mankind is completely sinful or depraved. Every part of fallen man is corrupted by sin before salvation. All right? You're all sinners. Is that true? We're born in sin, we have sin. He is a creature that is incapable of obeying the law of God on his own. All right? 
None deserve to be saved. Is that true? Yes. No one deserves to be saved. Yes. All right, so that's all good. And if he chooses to save, and if, if God, I didn't put that in there, if God chooses to save the elect, showing them his mercy, that is his sovereign right. So everyone is depraved. Everyone deserves to go to hell. That's your destination. But if I choose to save 10% of you, that's my choice. It doesn't matter that the rest of you go to hell. Because I saved 10. And I did it out of my mercy. That's Calvinist understanding of total depravity. That God has the right to choose a fraction and send the rest to hell. And he's right in doing so. He's right in showing mercy to a select group. And he's right in sending the rest of them to hell. Not by their choice, but by his. All right? That's classic Calvinism. Now, written in green, I put down there a couple points. Understanding that we are completely sinful or totally depraved is an essential part of fully appreciating God's grace in rescuing sinners from the punishment that we deserve. That's true. That's, that's true. That, that we all deserve death, but out of God's grace, he's made a way out. If we what? If we what? If we what? Say it again. Believe. If we believe. Not if he chooses. I didn't deserve to be saved. And God didn't just choose me to be saved. I accepted his son's death for me. And I am saved because I made that choice. People say, yeah, that puts your choice above God's sovereignty. No, it doesn't. It puts it within his sovereignty because he made that available. That's okay, I don't need that. Thank you. Okay, look at, look at my response. These are my response verses down at the bottom. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. Peter said, Acts 2, 37, 38, said, Repent and be baptized, what? Everyone. Everyone. Repent and be baptized, you selected ones. Uh, I would if I could, but I can't because God didn't. Give me the, the faith to be saved. And that's, that's another point. If God hasn't chosen you, you don't have the faith to be saved. It's not that you could use your faith to be saved. You don't have faith. You can't have faith. Because if you had faith, then you could be saved. And so extreme Calvinism says you don't have the faith to be saved, and you can't, even if you want to. Then why did Peter say to crowds of thousands of people, Repent and be baptized. How many of you? Every one of you. And you shall receive. And then he goes on and says that. Joshua chapter 2. Look at verse. Chapter, Joshua, sorry, chapter 24. Passage that's familiar to us. Joshua said, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in, in Egypt. And serve the Lord. Top of your next page. And if it is evil, 
wrong. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then what? Choose this day who you will serve. Who chooses? You choose who you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, God chose us. Is that what it says? As for me and my house, we are the elect. Sorry for the rest of you. We will. This is my choice. As for me and my house, I'm making this choice. Acts chapter 16. Paul in prison. The Philippian jailer finds him alive. He's going to kill himself, but Paul comes to him. And then he says, and then he, that is the jailer, brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, you can't. Either God chooses you or you didn't. What do I, I, what's the next word, two letters? What do I do to be saved? Believe. There it is. Not hope that you're in. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you might be saved, could be saved, will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And then they got baptized and joined the church. All right, so. That's the T, total depravity. Some of it we agree with, but we don't agree with the fact that God makes some who cannot be saved and some who can. Next, the U, T-U, unconditional election. This is a teaching that God's rescuing of sinners, saving sinners, is entirely due to His own will and good pleasure. It makes God happy to save some. It makes him happy to send some to hell. Salvation is not in any way brought about by our actions or decisions. In other words, our faith is not a determining factor in salvation. That's what classic Calvinism means by unconditional election. Okay, if you didn't get it, it's written in blue. I don't believe it. All right, that's, that's what they teach. Here's my response. And I just, I just choose like a few scriptures to go each one of these. But here's my response. Ephesians 1, verse 13. Ephesians 1, 13 says, In him you also, when you heard, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? believed and were chosen when you heard and were chosen when you heard and believed in him you were sealed with the promised holy spirit you heard you believed you were sealed all by god's sovereign election god chose you that way now here's the funny thing i i was listening to a preacher who's teaching through the book of ephesians and he is a very classic Calvinist, and I was listening to him. They, some, they have some really good things that they say, so I do read some 
quote classic Calvinism. In fact, I've got Calvin's commentaries on the entire New Testament. But a little sidelight, even Calvin was not a classic Calvinist. He, he didn't believe as far as they go, but that's a whole other subject. Okay. But here's the thing. This man was preaching through Ephesians. He came to this verse, and then he gave an invitation to his congregation. But maybe you're sitting here, and you have wondered on this question, and you've wondered whether you need to give your life to the Lord. He said, today is the day you need to give your life to Jesus. But wait a minute. Why are you asking? Because, because if they're chosen, they will anyway. And if they're not chosen, they can't. I don't want to be the preacher down front and say, oh, sorry, you know, there's a mark on you that says you're not chosen. You go back and sit down. You can't be saved. I, I, I don't know. I, but, but here he is offering an invitation to be saved when he himself doesn't believe that anybody has the right to choose to be saved. I'm sorry. To me, it's just, you know, it doesn't fit. Okay. All right. So, oh, man, I got to hurry. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. I got to at least get through Tulip. Okay. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. You make me preach. It's you. You, you guys do it. All right. Acts chapter 8, verse 36. And as they were going, this is the story of, the, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What repents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you're chosen. <laughs> if you what? Believe. Believe in your heart. People say, I've heard Calvinists say, well, it's believe in your heart is not even gospel. Uh, excuse me. Uh, it's right there. It's not in the gospels. It's the book of Acts. So I guess maybe they, they're right. But um, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You can be baptized if you believe. Because if you don't believe, baptism is just a bath. In dirty water. I've been in the Jordan River. It's dirty water. Okay, so this is this is his reply. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So who made the choice? God or this man? Okay. But God was behind it, right? Because God made that choice available. And by the choice that he made, God made the outcome available, which is eternal life. What prevents me from being saved? Your choice. Your decision. Not God's election. Election is an important word. We're going to talk about election in our next lessons. You didn't know you were coming for theology lessons, but here you are. Okay, that's the T and the U. Now the L. Limited atonement. This is the one that just drives me right up the wall. I could scream things that I don't want to say. Limited atonement. 
And they very boldly say, this is, this is right from their book, they very boldly say, Calvinism is distinctive and that it teaches Jesus' death on the cross did not merely make salvation possible and definite. Aren't you glad? Salvation is possible and definite for those who are chosen. But that it was also only for those whom God had elected to salvation. These are given the faith to be saved. It's limited atonement. All others, all others, this is their words, not mine. All others cannot be saved. Jesus did not pay for their sins. They cannot have faith. They have no recourse before God, for they do not deserve salvation anyway. That's what limited atonement means. And there are thousands upon thousands of people that hold to that doctrine. And it is, they don't, well, yeah, they do, because they don't know who the chosen are. Now, they'll say, you know, of course, we witness to everybody and we give invitations because we can't tell. And, you know, we pray for people to be saved because we don't know if they're going to get saved or they're not going to be saved. But their prayers don't change anything. I'm going to get to that in a minute. Sarah, did I say something wrong? Or? No, I was just saying that they don't have to preach because if they're chosen, then they're going if they're, if they're chosen, God gives them faith to be saved. That's, that's the next point, your, your irresistible grace. So, yeah, that if, if they're the chosen, but, but what limited atonement means is Jesus didn't pay for your sin anyway. You can't get to heaven and say, yeah, but Jesus shed his blood for me. And they say, no, he didn't. Jesus didn't die for you. He died for these other people, but he didn't die for you. Is that, that is just so cold and just... My response, and there, I, I, got, I got dozens of scriptures I could throw at you in each one of these, but I only put a couple in here. First Timothy chapter 2. First Timothy chapter 2. And this is in the section where Paul talks about praying. Pray always, you know, interceding and, and praying for the leaders. Why? Because it's good. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Verse 4, who desires the chosen to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, who does he choose? All people. Okay, the Greek for that phrase is all people. Yeah, that's the Greek word all means all. And the word people, laos, people, means everybody. God desires all people to be saved. And come to the knowledge of truth. For there's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for. Oh. What? Okay, so when you talk to a Calvinist, you read a Calvinist commentary on this, they'll come to that and they say, yes, for all classes of mankind, all degrees of mankind, all the chosen out of mankind, but not for every single person. That's not what it says. Remember last week I talked about reading out of Scripture? Right? Expository. Right? Reading out. This is the opposite. This is reading in. 
kind of called eisegesis. That's when you read something into a scripture. It's not there, but you put it in. And so to them, the all means only those who were called. They'll come back down John chapter 1, verse 9. Oh, man, i got to move. John chapter 1, verse 29 says, The next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the chosen. Now, I, I love the, the TV show Chosen. Now, just don't, don't write that off because we are chosen. And so we'll, we'll talk about being chosen, but that's not what they mean. The elect, the, but that's the word chosen. So the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And again, world is world. It doesn't say a certain group of people. The Jews held that the Gentiles could not be saved. Yet, over and over, God said, no, he's the Messiah for mankind. And the Gentiles shall rejoice. So, God did have a purpose for them. I, T-U-L-I, irresistible grace. Okay, irresistible grace, this in, in the Calvinist teaching means, in short, this is the belief that all who are called by God to believe in Jesus will be saved. God will give them faith. God's sovereign election is not contingent on our response. Those who are called by him will ultimately obtain justification and glorification. We don't know when, we don't know where, how long along, but if someone's chosen before they die, they will believe and they will be saved. The offer Salvation is only for them. They will respond. All others will not and cannot respond. The doctrine of irresistible grace says if you're not of the chosen, you cannot respond. You will not because you don't have the faith to even ask for salvation because God doesn't... Oh. I'm almost afraid lightning bolts are going to come down and hit me, but because God doesn't want you saved. I don't know how else to say it. God doesn't want you saved. I can't, I can't put that in the life of Jesus. I can't put that in the heart of the Savior that walked this earth. He never walked up to somebody and says, you're out. Sorry, can't heal you. You're, you're not one. You don't belong to me. He wept over the rich young ruler. When the man walked away, Jesus was greatly distressed because the man would not open his heart to acknowledge. Here's my response. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19. Verse says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. God reconciling who? Who? The world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through. Here's God's appeal. We implore you, the world, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Whose choice is that? Yours. You be reconciled because God 
was in Christ reconciling you to himself. He's taken away the barriers, but you need to open your heart to believe. That's where it is. Top of your next page, I threw this verse in there. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them, that is the Jews, my prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Why would Paul, the author of New Testament doctrine, why would he be praying for people whom God couldn't save, wasn't going to save? My heart's desire is that they will be saved. And then finally, the P of TULIP, T-U-L-I-P, P is perseverance of the saints. This we believe. That's why I wrote this one in green. If you have been justified before God, you cannot lose your salvation. Once a person is truly saved, this salvation is eternally secure. Rather than having to hold on to our salvation, the Bible teaches that when a person believes in Christ, they immediately obtain eternal life that cannot be lost. I've got all kinds of verses to prove that, but here's just a few that I put down. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. The one who hears and believes has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death to life. And who made that choice? Whoever hears and believes. John 6, 47 says, Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. You didn't get it the first time? Jesus said, well, let me tell you, get another time. And he says it several times. And then finally, Ephesians 1, 14. It says, so we said, we read before that they, those who heard, believed, and were sealed. So here's the second part of that. And were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It's all him. Amen. The Holy Spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Amen. He is the guarantee. If you have the Holy Spirit, he is the guarantee. He is the seal that says you belong to God. And you don't have the right to take it away. So this predestination, what it is not, that's what we covered. Wow. Okay, I almost got through that part. What predestination is, I guess I'm going to have to take that up next week. Are you okay with this? Sure. Yes. You're not going to you're not gonna bail out on me. You're predestined to hear this. So. <laughs> so. Bill. If a minister ministers this doctrine of Calvinism, how does he realize or know that he's chosen? ultimately when you when you go to the end bill's question is how does one who believes this know that they are the chosen ultimately whereas we think that this would make you secure in your salvation they are not uh some of the great authors on this aw pink um uh see uh Schofield, um, 
R.C. Sproul, some of the classic, very strong preachers of this doctrine, ultimately when you get to the end, there is no assurance of salvation. That their, their, their response to that is, if I have the faith, then I must be the chosen, or I wouldn't have the faith. And so they come back in like a circular argument about that. But nowhere does the Bible say anything like that. Nope. All right, so there's a, there's a lot of question in this. That doesn't mean that there aren't some really good things that I learned from these men. And uh, like I said, Calvin himself didn't believe in some of the extreme statements of Calvinism. He did not fully believe in limited atonement. And of course, neither did Martin Luther. But so when we, when we get into these theological circles, the reason I'm going through this is because we got three chapters that are going to come up that this is going to be a major issue, Romans 9, 10, and 11. And so we're going to have to deal with some pretty heavy arguments that people make against what we believe, that salvation is our choice. Technically, to believe that you choose salvation, you choose to believe, fits into the camp called the Arminiast. All right, so the Arminiasts came out of Holland, right? They're Dutch. Joseph Arminius. And so um, their, their belief is that it's all up to you. But just as much as you choose to be saved, when you sin, you've chosen to lose it. And so with the Arminius, there is no security of salvation. There are things in Calvinism that I believe very strongly. There are things in Arminianism I believe very strongly. There are things in Methodism that I believe very strongly. Uh, there are things in Pentecostalism that I believe very strongly. But there are also things that's like, no, you read that into the Bible. You didn't read it out. And so it's, uh, it's, it's not a matter of siding with one camp against another. It's, I just want to believe what the Bible says. And if it says that Jesus paid the price for the entire world, and that's what it says. I don't have the right to read into that, well, that just means those that God has chosen. I, I, I can't read that in there. Either he died for all, or it's all confusion. Amen? Okay, so enough of that. Your brains are on tilt, so... Okay, so, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you.